Well, good morning. Um, we've been in Acts for a few weeks, and a um, little recap. So, so far, uh, we saw a resurrected Jesus reveal himself to his church. Um, not just, hey, this happened, that I died and I was buried and I rose, but the meaning of it, the significance of it. And as they experienced that, um, they were then told, don't do anything, wait on the Holy Spirit. Pentecost rolls around and the Holy Spirit shows up in a unique way. And uh, the disciples experience this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And the, really the first thing that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the church is this proclaiming of the gospel, the good news in different languages that different nations are experiencing uh, the gospel. And then um, we see those that are listening, um, not all, but, but many respond in faith. And so now the Spirit is like supernaturally converting these people. And not only that, then supernaturally combining them into this community that is really devoted, right? Like devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And um, it says then that the Lord is adding to their number daily, those that are being saved. And so the Holy Spirit is just working in this group of people that is our brand new baby Christians and uh, bringing them together in community and then sending them out as missionaries in the city. And, and people are responding to the gospel on a, on a daily basis. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing kind of a, a vitality that we see in, in that church where daily people are coming to faith uh, in Christ. So now what? Like what, What's next uh, after that? Well, this chapter three is given us the, what's next. What, what, what is next to unfold uh, in the life of the, the first church of all time? And so what we, what we see kind of unfolding in the book of Acts is that this little infection of the gospel is going to become an epidemic. And then it's going to become a pandemic, right? You guys know all about that stuff now, right? We've been through COVID. Um, so an epidemic has got a localized infection, and that localized infection is infecting a region, right? But, it, but it's kind of kept in some kind of boundaries, right? And so it might be a country, right? We saw this at the beginning of COVID, right? Like we saw this initial infection in, in Wuhan, China, and then it, it was just kind of moving through the country of China. And we start seeing some, uh, some news stories and um, most of us were like, ah, it's not that big a deal. It's not going to get to the U.S. And except for my wife, who was like, we got to go to Target. We got to get a bunch of stuff because I think something's going to happen. And she, she was right on the nose. So if you want to know when the next uh, you know, thing is going to happen, just ask Melanie. She somehow, she knows. Uh, but, it, but it soon ceased to be just an epidemic and became a pandemic, right? And so there was lots of little epicenters of infection in different countries and different places. And we, we heard this mantra a lot during that time, right? Which was stop the spread. Stop the spread, right? Now, when it comes to the gospel, it's the opposite. Encourage the spread. <laughs> Encourage the spread. And so what we're going to see in the book of Acts is the epicenter, which is Jerusalem, is going to cease just being an epidemic. It's going to become a pandemic. We're going to see multiple churches planted, and in those churches, planting churches, and the gospel moving out through uh, the Roman Empire. Um, we, we see in this chapter 3 
The first surge has another word we heard a lot of, lots of surge words. Um, the first surge of gospel witness coming out of the initial believers of the Jerusalem church. And I'm basically, gonna, I'm just going to make some observations. I don't even know if I would call these points. I don't necessarily want you to make this list of seven things and go, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this and check off the list. But I, I want you to get a sense of, of what's going on in this passage. And I think a lot of the things that we can observe here are helpful for us as a church here in Austin, Texas. And it's, it's helpful for those of us going abroad this summer um, as well. So this is a little, uh, little training talk for the Central Asia uh, team as well. So uh, what you just heard read, the first few verses there, Acts 3, verse 1. And I, I think it'd be helpful if you follow along with me in your Bibles, uh, Acts 3. Uh, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. I should stop right there. Alms is like a technical term for a particular kind of religious offering that is for the poor, particularly. Right? And the Jews would have wanted to participate in the giving of alms to the poor. So it's strategic why um, these people are being put at the gate uh, as people are entering the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him and walk, saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So a few observations about that uh, part of the passage. So one is there participating in just the daily rhythms of their city. Now, not only Jews lived in Jerusalem at that time, but a lot lived in Jerusalem at that time. And they were going to the time of prayer at certain times in the day. And one of those was three o'clock in the afternoon. That's the ninth hour. And so this is a daily rhythm for that city. Lots of people out in the streets headed to, to all the little arteries that made their way to the temple. And where are the apostles? Where are the Christians? They're right out there with them. They're going to the temple. They don't need to go to the temple. right? They know that the sacrifice has been made for their sins once for all. They don't, they don't need a priest. They don't need a sacrifice. Like, what, what are they doing while they go to the temple? Partly, I think, so they can be out there in the city, in the mix, being with the people. And they knew that this would be a time when people would be out uh, walking. This book that uh, I'm having the Central Asia team read, uh, has it's, it's basically a book about how to be a missionary, right? And it's some of the just basics of going into a cross-cultural context and what, what do you do? Like, wh where do you start? Um, and it's, a really, it's really helpful in part because you can use that in a non-cross-cultural context. Um, and that's part of the, the message of the book. 
But in that book, it talks about something called missionary mapping. And so what you would do, and this is what I was doing, you know, 14 months ago, just kind of cruising around the neighborhood, just trying to figure this place out. And so one of the things you look at is the geography of the place. Where are the main streets? Where are sidewalks that a lot of people walk? Where, where are hubs where those paths where people walk are intersections where people hang out, like a bus stop? That's a, that's a, that's a hub. Our parking lot out here is a hub. During the week, there's three, three different uh, schools of school teachers that park in that parking lot. And this place is just crawling with all kinds of people from the community. The school itself, ele the elementary school here, is uh, a hub. Um, and so just sort of, sort of figuring out uh, the, the, the paths and, and the hubs. Um, but then there's also the social connections. Like where do people gather socially in a particular uh, location, a neighborhood, a city? Um, and so for here, again, the school is, is a major place where people uh, connect. The neighborhood associations here, are they're pretty active, right? Like the North Loop Association, the Hyde Park Association. We're kind of in the middle of both of those neighborhoods. And uh, folks are, are really uh, connected through those. There's some affinity groups like bicyclers. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. But every once in a while, like 100 bicycles will come through here. And they're just cruising through the city. And sometimes it's at night and they've got lights on. I'm like, how can I get all that? I got, that's, it's, it, but it's a place of connection, right? It's a social uh, affinity uh, connecting group. Um, and then you, then you are also thinking about the spiritual life in, the, in a particular region. Like, what's, what's it like here in, in this neighborhood around this church, uh, spiritually speaking? I mean, what, you know, we did a lot of postcard stuff. We went door to door and we passed out postcards and we invited people to church. And partly I wanted to, us to invite people to church, but I also wanted to get a feel for the neighborhood. Like how much interest is there in spiritual stuff and in, in the church? And honestly, not a lot. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the things we found. There wasn't a lot of like, yeah, I'm interested in, in your church. Uh, but there also wasn't a lot of hostility. People weren't, they weren't angry. They weren't bitter. Uh, they were actually like, we're really glad you're here. Like, so it was, it was a little bit of a, a, a way to take the temperature of, of the spiritual uh, life of this, this region, these neighborhoods. Um, and so really the temple uh, is all three, right? It's a geography, right? It's, it's, it's the center, really, of Jerusalem. And, and so as, as people are, are, are going in there, there's a geography to it. There's also a social engagement to it. Like people are seeing each other. They're, they're chatting. They're talking. Um, and then that's obviously a spiritual component. Right? People, people uh, have some kind of spiritual interest, obviously. These are not atheists that are going to the temple for a time of prayer. There were no atheists in the first century. But anyway, that's another conversation. Um, so they are sensitive to the rhythms of their location, their city. Um, they're also, number two, sensitive to the presenting needs of their city. So there's this gate, right? The beautiful gate. And they're dropping off people who are lame, who are, uh, who are sick, who, and, 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 and what are they doing? They're, they're begging, they're begging, they're, they're asking for uh, alms. And um, I don't think, and, and I know this for sure, I mean, I, as, we, as we read the book of Acts, we'll find this out, that the apostles are not thinking, we want to become a humanitarian organization. Like, that's, that's not what they're about. But they are about meeting, presenting needs. When they see needs, that are presenting in the, in the community. They're trying to figure out how to, 
how to do it. Like later in Acts, we'll see that they actually have a, a feeding ministry to the widows in the church. So it's not like they're like, we're just spiritual. This is all we do is the Bible, you know? But they're also not like, okay, we got to start a soup kitchen. We got to start a food pantry. We got to do this. We got to do that. We're, we're a humanitarian organization. That's not, that's not how they think. But they do see presenting needs in the, in the city. And, and they, they respond um, to those needs. You know, for us in this neighborhood so far, it's been things like be an event volunteer, help, help out with some of these neighborhood associations and the things that they need help with. Uh, actually, speaking of, this next Sunday um, at 9.15 a.m., anybody that can show up a little early and go help for an hour, hour and a half to do like a neighborhood cleanup, uh, that's going to happen next Sunday. And uh, I was, I, I'm just on like the neighborhood, you know, email list. And I just get all these horribly boring emails that I delete for the most part. And then I get this one that's like community cleanup. I'm like, I'm going to read that one. And then I'm like, hey, Connor, can you lead this? Because I won't be here. I'll be in another country. And so anyway, it, but, it, but it's, it's like a way to see a presenting need and to meet that need um, as a church. Are we going to, you know, start like a, whole cleanup operation, organization. No, that's not what we do. We're a church. Like that, that we're, not, we're not doing it. But we're going to meet presenting needs as those, uh, those come up. Um, lots of churches do lots of different things in this vein. I mean, you know, some churches, do they, they foster kids. Right? Like a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of churches are like, okay, in this county or in this city, there's not going to be one kid, foster kid doesn't have a family. And they seek to like mobilize as many families as they can. Should every church do that? Probably not, but, but it, it, it's a presenting need, right? And so it's something that, that, that churches uh, do. Some churches do have food pantries. Some, some churches have after-school programs for kids that don't really have uh, you know, a lot of family support. Some churches do sports leagues. Some, some churches assist the elderly. Um, but it's, it's something that I, I think each church, as needs present in their context, they sort it out and figure out, okay, let's, let's meet this uh, need in the community. I, one way to think about it, this is not new to me. I stole it from someone. I don't know who I stole it from, um, but you, I've seen this in so many books. I don't think it's really uh, copyrighted, but you think about God's heart for the city and you think about the needs that are presenting themselves. And then you think about the actual resources that your particular church has, right? And as those three kind of come together, I've never used a Venn diagram before. I don't think this is my first. Anyway, as those three come together, it kind of gives you that sense of that sweet spot for your particular church. And I think we're still, we're still kind of trying to figure that out. Like what, what in this community do we see God working out his kingdom purposes and the, the needs are presenting themselves? And what, what can we do? What are, what are our gifts, right? Fostering a bunch of kids right now, at least, probably not, right? We don't, we don't have a, a, lot, a lot of families, but but man, we can, we can go volunteer at a cleanup day, man. We can kill it, right? And so the, the, the thinking about the resources we have and the presenting needs and what God would desire, uh, I think is, is helpful. So uh, they're, they're, they're sensitive uh, to the rhythms they're of, the, of, of their city. They're sensitive to the presenting needs. Uh, they're also expectant. They're expecting that Jesus is going to show up and do something big. Do something through his church as his church is meeting those needs. It, it, Jesus is going to do something really, really powerful. And it's so interesting. Peter's really clear 
hey, we don't have a lot of tangible resources. <laughs> like our budget looks really bad right now at the first, you know, Baptist Jerusalem church. Um, but we do have something to offer. And that's every church, right? It doesn't matter if you got a big budget or a little budget or no budget, like, like you have something to offer. Why? Because the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, he is behind you. And, and so you can lean in to whatever God calls you to, and he will he'll supply. Right? I mean, us leaning into a, a, you know, a mission trip across the ocean that costs you know, 10,000 bucks for five people to go, like, should we really be doing that financially? Yeah, probably not. But you know what? It all worked out, and people really rallied, and people in this church rallied, and people outside the church helped out, and I'm looking at you know the money a couple of days ago, and it's like it all worked out, and and the it's like just lean into it, and Jesus shows up, He shows up, and this is this seems to be Peter and John's expectation uh, is is that Jesus through the power of the Spirit is going to meet those needs through the ministry of the church, and it, it may not make sense on paper. He's, he's, he's going to do it, and they expect that. Um, and it's not just about healing. Uh, I think we read a, 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 a passage like this, and we go, man, we got to have some healings, right? And Jesus does use healings, and, and, it, and it can be really, really powerful. And in the first century, it was really powerful because you had no medical care. I mean, you break your leg, you're probably just going to be crippled for the rest of your life. Like, like there's, there's no way to fix it. You can't go to the orthopedic surgeon and have it pinned. Like you just, you're just stuck. So the medical issues in the first century, it's so, so horrible. And so the, the apostles walk in, they start healing people. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Hi. Tell me more. Right? And you say, well, that will work here too. It, I think it, it could, but the cynicism in our world today, you start having healings, they're going, yeah, whatever. That, yeah, that's fun. That, that, that's great for you. Um, we were talking to some friends of ours that uh, are about to get married, and we know the bride-to-be really, really well because she was a student at our previous church. But we were just getting to know the, the groom-to-be, who uh, is from the UK. She found her a London boy, and uh, he's very cute, and, uh, but he's a pretty brand-new Christian. And um, it's so interesting because he grew up in a household that was, like, convictionally atheist. And he came out of that household convictionally atheist, like went to school, just like reading Richard Dawkins and like, man, I hate Christians. And, I, and, and then through a roommate who's a Christian and through his now bride-to-be, um, heard about the gospel and started to think, rethink it and think about some of those arguments that he had bought into previously and rethink those and, and became a Christian. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, it's, it, it's pretty crazy because people are really interested in my story in the UK, which is a very secular place. And so when they hear this sort of convictional, avid atheist who's now a committed Christ follower, they're like in awe. They're in wonder, just like these people were over this, this healing. And it's just as, about, just as much of a miracle huh, as any healing, right? And so the Holy Spirit, is he knows the context of, of every church and the mission that they're on. And he knows how to empower whatever's needed, whether it's, uh, you know, converting an atheist or, or healing or whatever. Another friend of mine who just started a, a church that he's calling a, re a recovery church back in the 
the, the valley where we lived for a long time in Massachusetts. Um, and it's all addicts that are coming out of drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And so it's, it, you know, recovery church. And people are finding Christ and getting freedom from addiction. And people are coming, a lot of new people are coming in because they've heard like freedom from addiction. Are you kidding me? How'd, you, how'd that happen, Jesus? And, and it's reaching people. And again, a very hard to reach kind of place. So the Holy Spirit, he knows. He just knows what is needed in whatever context, um, including uh, Austin, Texas. So they're sensitive to the rhythms. They're sensitive to, uh, to the presenting needs. They're expectant that Jesus is going to do something. But the story doesn't end there. Um, verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? So they're also sensitive to the spiritual needs. They're sensitive to the spiritual needs. They're not just like, okay, we got to make sure that the people that are having health problems get healed. Peter's tracking and he's like, Whoa, this healing thing just changed the atmosphere. Like everyone's following us to the, to the temple courts. They're not going to prayer anymore. <laughs> They're going to us, right? And he's like, there's something going on here. I, I got to make the most of this opportunity. And he starts to engage them on a spiritual uh, level. And again, this doesn't mean that you ignore presenting needs, right? Because later on, they're, they're going to literally start a feeding ministry for widows, right? So it's not that they don't care about that stuff, but they're always coupling it with a spiritual aspect. They're always proclaiming in concert with demonstrating. And it is so powerful when you see those things um, brought uh, together. You hear the Apostle Paul teaching this in Colossians. I don't think I have a slide for this, but he tells this to the, to the church at Colossae. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This is NIV translation because I, I, I love that. Make the most of every opportunity. And then he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so you just see him, Paul saying, okay, Christians in Colossae, I want you to just make the most of every opportunity, every need of resistance, so like, like lean in and then speak up, have a conversation, know how to answer everyone that you're engaging as you meet those needs. Uh, Jesus taught the disciples to do the same thing. I mean, when he sends them out, like for instance, in Matthew chapter 10, he's, he's training them up, sending them out two by two. And uh, he's like, okay, you're going to heal. You're going to drive out demons. You're going you're gonna to heal the sick. You can do all this stuff. Oh yeah, and you're going to proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And so it's the same kind of coupling of demonstration and uh, proclamation. Now, here's how Peter um, speaks truth to them and meets their spiritual need. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, just think about that, talking to a group of Jewish folks. Like, that's bread and butter right there. God of Abraham. They're like, yes. Yeah, that's right. God of Isaac. Yes. God of Jacob. Yes. God of our fathers. Yes. He glorified his servant, Jesus. Oh, this is awesome. 
it's amazing what he's doing as he brings together the, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish scriptures, and he ties it to Christ, right? Glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Remember Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses. Peter's like, we saw all this stuff. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And so you see him coupling the meeting of that presenting need of the man who needed healing with the gospel. And he's just sandwiching those two uh, together. And, And this environment is an environment of wonder and amazement. Like they are so tuned into what Peter is saying because of the healing that's just happened. It just totally changed the environment, communication, um, environment. And again, it's not wasted on, it's not wasted on Peter. He, he's like, okay, this is it. This is time. It's time to go. It's go time. Preach the gospel and tie it into this healing that's just um, happened. Um, now, how, how does he meet this need, right? The way he meets the, the spiritual need is preaches Christ. He preaches Christ. There's no nebulous God talk here, you know, like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, and, and I pray sometimes, and okay. You know, <laughs> it's like preaching Christ. He's, he's explaining to them how Christ is the explanation of what just happened in the healing of this person. And, you know, he he's coming in hot, right? Like he is talking about when they picked Barabbas over Jesus and he says, you killed the author of life. What a quote. You killed the author of life, right? Then he says, but you can't keep the author of life down, right? Like he was raised from the dead. And he starts, I mean, he's just proclaiming the whole gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, But then he talks about the faith, right? He says the faith in this one who rose is is how this guy got healed. And and this is good. Peter's improving. I I, I think, you know, that first sermon, he doesn't really call anyone to faith. (laughs) He just is like, this is what happened. And he just drops the mic. And they're like, what must we do to be saved? He's like, oh, sorry, repent. (laughs) Um, And he's like pressing in now. And he's like, he's calling them to faith. Uh, in a somewhat indirect way, and he'll get he'll get more direct here in a minute. So if we had stopped right there, it just sounds like bad news. It's just bad news. It's like you killed him, you know, and he rose from the dead. And they're like, oh my god, what's he going to do? Um, but he's not done. Verse seventeen. Now, brothers, ooh, so that's a that's a sweet grace right there. All right, calling them brothers. He's, he, he's giving them the bad news, and now he's going to start r- bringing them in, giving them the grace. I know that you acted in ignorance. Oh, that's, that's so sweet. I mean, just to think that, like, they were, in part, the ones that were, the reason Jesus, his mentor, his teacher, his Lord, got killed. He's looking them in the face going, brothers, I know you acted in, in ignorance. That's uh, such a grace. As did also your rulers. 
That's a tremendous amount of grace. It's, it's similar to Jesus on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they did. It's a very similar kind of a posture toward those that he had just said, you build the author of life. And then he goes back into talking about the prophets, right? But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until that time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So it's a, it's a real call to faith, right? He gives them this grace um, of, the, of the gospel and he calls them to turn away from their sin and to turn toward Jesus. And we said before, this, this idea of repentance, this is a holistic turning of your whole self, mind, will, emotion, all of it from sin and toward Christ in faith. And he calls them to that kind of radical, radical repentance. Um, and says, in this repentance is a refreshment now and a restoration in the life to come. Again, such a grace to offer these who, you know, 50 days before were crying, crucify him. And he's like, there's refreshment for you. There's restoration for you in the life to come. And this is, being offered to us this morning. <laughs> like if we've not yet received that free gift of grace, that refreshment now, that restoration for the life to come, like that's, that's for us today. And it's for us to be reminded of. This is what we have in the gospel. This is what we have in Christ. Now, because of their Jewish background, he just kind of doubles down on the Old Testament context. Like he really wants them to see that this is not just something that they hatched, you know, like, like this is, this is something God has been planning all along. And he starts pulling out the big guns. He starts pulling out Moses, right? He's already pulled out prophets and Abraham. He's going to mention Abraham again. And it's a lot of uh, Old Testament context here. So verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So this is a, this is, he's basically taking from Deuteronomy here um, what Moses teaches. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, there's a lot there, but he's tying in Moses. He's tying in Abraham, all, all tying into Jesus and what God has done in Christ. And he's saying, this, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what the prophets have been talking about. All, all these uh, hundreds and hundreds of years we've been waiting. This is it. And he's calling them to faith in that Christ. And so the, so the fifth observation um, is that, yeah, as he's being sensitive to these spiritual needs here, he's also being sens sensitive to the, the cultural context that he's in. You can see this in the book of Acts. When, when Paul is speaking to a primarily Gentile audience, he wouldn't sound like this. <laughs> he wouldn't be pulling out 
the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even though it's true, he, would, he doesn't pull that out because he's not in that context. He's in Gentile context. Peter's in a, a Jew context. And so in this Jewish context, he, he, he knows his, his, his people. And, and so he's proclaiming the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. And so this contextualization doesn't compromise the message, right? It's the same gospel message that Paul preaches to the Gentiles as it's being preached by Peter to the Jews, but it's contextualized so that they can understand it in their own, uh, their own language. Um, I, think, I think for us, this means a lot of listening and asking questions. Um, there, there's an old story about uh, Francis Schaeffer, who's a writer and a teacher and apologist, uh, back kind of 60s, 70s, kind of Jesus movement days, and a super smart guy, really helpful writing. Anything you pick up from him would be a real help to you. Um, but he was asked, okay, what if you had one hour to sit down with someone who's not yet a Christian? What would you do with him? What would you say to them? And I think the person was, was waiting for like a one-hour brilliant lecture that would convince them that Jesus is who he said he is. And he says, well, I would listen and ask questions for 45 minutes, and then I would talk for 15. And, and, and it's, it's that kind of posture, that kind of heart to, to like, let me, let me hear wh- where you're coming from. What are your questions? Right? And, it, and it's like, if someone has a question, usually there's a question under the question. And you, you really gotta, you really gotta dig. Right? They're like, why are churches this way? And you're like, hmm, they probably had, probably had a bad experience with the church. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Let's talk about that. Why is that such a big question for you? Well, when I was three, this happened or, you know, whatever. Um, but trying to listen and ask good questions to understand um, our context. Um, one question that um, can be asked, this is not, and again, this is not new to me, but how is the good news good news to whatever person you're talking to? Right? Is, is the person struggling with, with loneliness? Well, how is the gospel good news for them? Right? Are, they, are they struggling with addiction? Right? Like, like trying to, to understand where people are coming from. Now, again, without compromising the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, we're not going to, like, you know, hide that in the back corner. Um, but we can communicate it and preach it in ways that are going to be contextual for the people that we're talking to, either one-on-one kind of contextual or even in a larger, uh, larger setting. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about that this summer, actually, in our small group, uh, which will start not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Uh, on June 7th, and uh, we'll, we'll have a kind of introduction to that. We'll be using this book over here that's uh, called Evangelism as Exiles. So trying to figure out how, how do we proclaim the gospel in a, in a place that uh, is, is not necessarily friendly to, uh, to the gospel. So sensitive to cultural uh, context. And then number six, working as a team. Working as a team. Notice it's Peter and John together. And where do they learn that? They learned that from Jesus. When he sends them out, he sends them out two by two. All throughout the book of Acts, it's really one way to think about it is a story of teams. Like Paul is always with a team. Luke, the writer, is literally on a team with Paul. And so it's never this like Lone Ranger Christian, I'm going to go out for Jesus and do this by myself. It's, it's always in the context of uh, a team. So I think if, if we're going to see uh, Austin reached. If we're going to see Ridgetop effective in this city, in in this in these neighborhoods, but not just in these neighborhoods, in the places where 
uh, you live, which may not be in this neighborhood. Okay, I get it. Um, but wherever you are, I think these things that we've talked about, these observations can be really, really helpful um, that you think about what are the paths and the hubs of, of the people around you, where you live, where you were, right? And maybe instead of, oh, I'm just going to stay in my house and binge on Netflix, which you really shouldn't be binging on Netflix anyway. Uh, you're like, I'm going to go out and have a coffee. I'm going to go to the same place. I'm going to talk to Barista every time, right? Like, figure out where the hubs are. Maybe it's a park. That's even, you know, it's a lot cheaper. Parks are cheaper than, than coffee shops, especially in Austin, Texas. Um, places that, that, are, that you can be a regular in, where you engage with people, you get to know um, people. I mean, it's literally something that I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to, to be in the same place on the same days. And, you know, people are starting to, to recognize, what's that, you know, what's that guy doing here? What, he's talking to people about Jesus at the, at the table. And he, he comes in every Tuesday or, you know, I mean, yeah. So you can, you can do this. This is, this is not that hard. Um, to be sensitive to the presenting needs. So just be aware, be prayerful, right? Obviously, you can't meet every need that comes across your, your path. But there's just going to be certain things that are going to come up and you're going to think, I can meet that or I could team up with a few other people from, from Ridgetop and we could meet that. And we, we could we could pull, we could do something, um, and so instead of going, I don't have time for that. Boundaries, you know, don't me time, soul care, you know, self care, all the stuff that it's important. But we can take that so far that a need pops up, and we're like, no, I'm not even going to pray about that, right? And and it's it's something that we we got we got to restructure our thinking about that because we have the Holy Spirit and we have a team. We don't have to do it by ourselves. Right? Um. To be expectant. I mean, as I'm reading this, I, I'm like confessing, Jesus, I'm not expectant enough. God, help me. Just help me be more full of faith and more expectant that you want to show up and you want to do things through me, through my church. And um, so being, being expectant, confessing that if that's not true, uh, being prayerful about those things. And then being sensitive to spiritual needs. When, the, when, when things present, when someone's like talking about their addiction or their depression or, you know, their relational breakdown, not just being the, you know, sort of Oprah for them. Like, let me give you some little tips. <laughs> Tell them the gospel. Tell them the gospel. Right. Now, Melanie had an opportunity like this with a teacher that uh, had, had quit. And she was like, I can't take it anymore. And Melanie's going through the same stuff this teacher's going through. And the teacher literally was like, how are you doing it? How are you holding it together? Um, and it was an opportunity to, to talk about her faith and to, to, to be a, a witness to that. Um, so be sensitive to the spiritual things going on. Sensitive to the cultural context. All right. So again, asking questions, listening, but yeah, doing some reading. I mean, I, I, again, I think this little book will help us. We'll also add some little, su you know, some supplements to it as we try to figure out you know, how do we be a faithful Christian witness in Austin, Texas? Um, and hope to, hope to better equip us uh, to do that. And then let's work as a team. And sometimes that means, yeah, we show up at church and we go do a thing together. Um, but oftentimes it's more informal. And, you know, it, it, we, we had a, um, a cookout at uh, Noah and Red and Christian's place a couple weeks ago. And they invited their neighbors over. But it, it wasn't just the three guys, it was the three guys and our church. 
And we were getting to know the neighbors and talk to them about faith and talk to them about their spiritual lives. And, and so um, it, was, it was a team. It was a team. So be thinking that way. Be thinking, How, oh, yeah, I can invite a couple others into this relationship with this person that I'm getting to know and think in terms of a team.